Yo, what's the deal, baby? This your boy, Uncle Luke, formerly of the Two Live Crew. You are listening to Pass It Down with Mike Silver and Natalie Silver. Natalie is the most beautiful young lady in this deal right here. Mike doesn't look so good, even though they're dad and daughter. It's the big show, baby. Okay. Well, Natalie, um, a big, big contract got done recently in the NFL. George Kittle signed a record deal for a tight end. And you may have noticed that I was on the phone quite a bit trying to figure that thing out for the last many months. And Jack Becta, agent who made it happen, is kind enough to join us. Jack, welcome to Pass It Down. Well, um, I'm kind of fired up to be a part of this. Uh, you are passing it down and sideways to Natalie. I can't wait to uh, get to know you a little bit better and see what the uh, silvers are all about here. Be careful what you wish for, first of all. Um, yeah, um, this is this is going to be, uh, you know, this is going to be a, an education for Natalie. She's a, a recent Cal graduate but doesn't know much about um, – contract negotiations so I, I think you'll you'll like this story now I'm, I'm here to learn yeah I, I, no. neither, neither do I <laughs> <laughs> so it seems like you guys have definitely got a good rapport um I don't really know how you guys met no one's told me is there some story or Jack how'd you guys meet <laughs> there is a story <laughs> well I, I'd have to say um you know, your your father's part of the fabric of the NFL community, right? So uh, whether you're at the Combine or the Senior Bowl or some of these, uh, you know, unofficial conventions we have to go to, uh, you at some point will have to interface with Michael Silver. Uh, it, may not be, it may not be over an interview. It could be over a drink. It could be over... Uh, some appetizers, or it could uh, just be in a in a fun setting. <laughs> it could be in an airport, even. And it could be even in an airport. So, no, I think um, we probably had some interactions over the years uh, with some other players, but um, I think that for the most part, we probably connected a few years ago at the uh, NFL Combine. Uh, maybe talking about George, maybe talking about some other players, but more in a uh, probably a social medium than a professional medium. I just rarely ever been in any professional setting with, uh, with Michael. <laughs> there is a, um, there is a story. So at the combine, um, I'm going to see if I can tell this like in delicate fashion, but at the combine, we all stay up really, really late. Yeah. I've heard about, isn't there like a burger place you guys, have uh, there? steak and shake. Yeah. But there's a place called prime. There's just, there's some bars where, you know, just we're up really, really late. Even if you're not partying, you're up really, really late, but usually people are. And so by the end of the combine, Jack, it's like a week, right. Or so. And, um, you know, we're all just delirious and bleary eyed. And so by the time you get to the airport to go home, you're not usually functioning, you know, at a, at a great level. And, um, I was in one of those States a few years ago at the Indianapolis airport. And I saw this familiar face kind of walking out toward me and it was Jack and Jack too was delirious because he had mistakenly entered the wrong bathroom. <laughs> wow. <laughs> even, 
when Natalie what was even you know the bonding moment uh, for your dad and I like by the time you get to the airport after running a you know a bourbon marathon and talking to a hundred <laughs> people for business or pleasure or whatever like you are mentally physically emotionally exhausted so we get to the airport about the same time we're chatting we're in the you know probably walking into the wrong security line but you know we make our way through the uh we make our way through security and we're talking and next thing you know we find ourselves back outside <laughs> in the ticketing area we, we walked right back out of the restricted area Wait, so okay were, were you guys together at this point or did you both do this no no separately? we were together so what happened was i saw jack coming out of the wrong bathroom or he kind of explained to me what was going on and no, 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 no. Okay, back up. So you're delirious in the airport. I know yes. delirious Mike Silver yes. very well. You have no voice, I'm yes. assuming. correct. Completely disheveled. And you see someone that you recognize from the combine. Like, how well do you know him at this point? Not well enough because I and I was about to become, like, the president of his fan club. <laughs> and he, he just – he had such a healthy attitude about it. I mean, usually, like, if I went into the wrong bathroom at an airport, let alone – um, completed a, a task in the bathroom that may have taken a while <laughs> and then emerged from the wrong bathroom, I would be like, you know, freaking out. And like, but this guy just was so, Jack, you just like were so, I, I think you were just beaten down from a week of the combine and you were just kind of like, yeah, this happened. Yeah, it is what it yeah, is. Yeah, I think I had, I had Anthony Hitchens, a client with the, um, Chiefs that I think I was working on his deal and, and Micah uh, Hyde maybe was yeah I, I just had I had a few um, uh, clients that you know I actually had to work pretty hard and I had a few guys at that at that particular combine but um, so you know dazed and confused a little bit um, there's nothing more mortifying Natalie <laughs> than while you're sitting on the can after five six days at the combine and you hear the sound of women's heels clicking. <laughs> there, there is one thing more mortifying and that is if you are the women when he emerges <laughs> when he emerges from that stall yeah, and, and you just play it off right you just went and wash your hands right you were just like hey i'm gonna wash yeah. my hands yeah so, <laughs> so i came i came out of there i and yeah you know, i ran into your dad and i said now i gotta to come clean like he's telling, how, he's telling me how messed up he feels or how tired he feels and i said well let me just tell you what i just did we found ourselves back in the ticketing having yeah. to go through security but you're talking you're bonding yeah we go through security we make it through we're still walking it is kind of a trick airport it's really weird if you're like not pay attention well and we were just like next thing we knew we were out in the, yeah, so just, the food court so just to clarify you went through those series of like four doors where each door says once you go through this door you cannot re-enter and then five steps later there's another door with the same sign it wasn't every airport I've been to has something. Yeah, like it that. wasn't really that well marked, but we, you know, they were pretty surprised to see us again in the security <laughs> line when we had just gotten through. So, Jack, did you go back into the women's bathroom after that, or was it a one-time <laughs> thing? Yeah, I, I, there was a sign on the front with my picture on it, like "Please don't." Yeah. <laughs> if you see this man, run. Well, okay, but, but okay, I want to get into the actual. You know, right, nice the actual up. story. But no, there's one more thing. Nally, um, like, 
when you were a little kid, and I used to talk about football, I know you were into Cal because we got, you know, yeah. we propagandized you, but who was your favorite NFL player when you were little? You talking about Al Harris? That's right. I'm talking about oh, Al Harris. That guy. What did you yeah. like about Al Harris? I I don't know. I just I like that he wasn't an obvious choice for a favorite player. I like that he was scrappy and he played with swag. I liked his hair. I don't know. He just I don't know. I liked him. Well, guess who represented Al Harris? Oh no, Al Harris. I had great, I had great Al Harris experiences, but Jack, I would imagine that if there's any way you want to shatter Natalie's illusion, that you know you'd be the guy. Is Al Harris as awesome as advertised? Natalie, um, you did just not pick like a, a very special player, uh, who, by the way, uh, he's getting inducted into the uh, Packers Hall of Fame, which is a pretty amazing. Nice, nice <laughs> happening, and I got to tell you, one of the greatest things of my careers outside of the nice things that uh, the Kittles have said about me and thanking me for the contract is Al Harris uh, actually uh, wants me as his presenter. Wow. At the Packer Hall of Fame? Yeah. So we were supposed to do that in April, but of course it got canceled. I don't know you know, how that's going to manifest itself. Maybe it's next year. I don't know if they even do it, but it, and, and actually like, let me tell you a few Al Harris stories. Um, there's not, by the way, every player that's ever played with him or all the coaches and personnel people, uh, you talk to a Mike McCartney who's now an agent. You talk to, you know, the deceased Tom Modrak or Bobby DePaul or any of these guys that were at the Eagles when Al was there. They always say Al was our favorite player, our favorite player. Nice. And, one of the reasons what makes out so special, like a thing like that, I go to his wedding, right? And he goes, Jack, come on back. Come in the back room with the boys, right? So I'm back back there with Henry Crockett, Zach Crockett, you know, team guys he grew up with, all, all the guys playing in the league, a few other buddies. And me, you know, I'm the, the whitest guy in the room. <laughs> and um, he, he goes, I got something for you. And uh, there's this box. He goes, I want you to open it. And this is like, you know, 20 minutes before his the ceremony. I go, what are, you, what are we talking about? I'm supposed to want to bring a present. He goes, nah, man. So he, he gives me this box. He goes, open it. I open it up. And even it's like, you know, his best friends are trying to figure out what's in it. Right. And I, I open it up. It's a, it's a watch, like a pretty bougie, you know, Breitling watch. Um, I still don't know if it's Breitling or Breitling. It's, it's, <laughs> you know, really bad, but, uh, and on it, he goes, thanks for everything. Your friend Al. He wrote wow. it, right? Taught me, brought me to tears. And uh, no, he's he's such a caring guy, right? It, it, in such contrast to the to that aggressive press corner you see on the field that you know tried to put um, Des Bryant and T.O. on their back every time they got <laughs> out, right? So no, he's a special guy. Um, so and just a quick story on him. I mean, he you know he went to my alma mater. Texas A&M in Kingsville, um, late round pick, got cut by the Bucks. I, I called him up one day. I said, "Oh man, you gotta stop biting on all these like up, up route, uh, go routes, you know, um, stopping go routes." Because man, I bite on everything. Yeah, and a cover two defense, you just don't do that, right? So they, the Eagles claimed him, and they had Troy Vincent and Bobby Taylor, and they, they had a real. Like, yeah. back there they had like the best secondary in the league 
but those guys were hurt. So Al came in and the first day of practice, you know, they're all sitting around watching him and, you know, their best receivers couldn't get off the line. They ended up starting that weekend and the rest was history. Eventually got traded to the Packers. But Al actually had one of the lowest um, catches per pass ratio. hope I said that right in the league. Like I, I think they only averaged like two passes a game on anybody he was covering. Uh, Woodson was like four, you know, 4.2 or something like that, because guys can never get into their route, never get off the line. <laughs> you know, um, they, they called him 31, the dirty one, which is a great nickname, obviously an on the field depiction. But, uh, you know, I really feel like Nally, you kind of played like him in soccer and field hockey, like you were overly physical considering especially your size and you were um hyper aggressive you know very saw it really well fast to the ball so that's it's like an honor now that is the biggest compliment remember that when 20 minutes before your wedding when you fire up somebody with a inscribed watch uh you know i'll be I'll be blubbering with tears around them back <laughs> yeah. whenever that is Dad, i thought you said george kittle was jack's biggest client but well, besides Al Harris. <laughs> yeah, besides Al They're Harris. all my biggest client now. There you oh. go. That's what I'm talking about. Um, all right. So uh, I just wrote a very long story that tried to capture, um, you know, from the time you met George on and really the last six months, um, you, you helped a lot with that. And I've, you know, I've had numerous conversations with you. Take us, take us back to... I, I, you know, the beginning, and we're talking about a player, George Kittle, who clearly outperformed his rookie contract. He was a fifth-round pick out of Iowa. In his second year, he set an NFL record for receiving yards by a tight end. And then last year, his third year, he was even better. So um, how did you approach this entire, you know, situation? It was tricky. Um, you know, we were starting at a, a place of – like a disadvantage because of the antiquated, outdated tight end market that hasn't moved since 2014. And so we were in the basement and I was at least trying to start in the living room and get to the bedroom. <laughs> um, but we, you know, so we just kind of had to come out of the blocks pretty high and try to price him as a receiver. And, and the great thing about that, he had all the stats to back it up or compete or even be better than a lot of the receivers, uh, whether it's yards after catch or whether it's um, yards per route, et cetera. Um, so that was probably the path of least resistance to putting a value on him and to be able to quantify him. It was easy to quantify him against receivers. But, you know, if you're a team, you're not going to buy that if you're a Niners or anybody. Nobody ever has bought that argument. Same with, like, deep tackles when they, you know, they play a lot of five technique and they go, hey, I'm an end. You know, compare me to the, you know, it's like real estate, right? Compare me to the houses on the water, not the right. walked off. Right. It is weird because, you know, these positions are slotted. And yet if you gave people truth serum in the 49er organization and said, who's your best player, who's your most important player, they'd all be like, oh, George Kittle. Like, duh, including Jimmy Garoppolo would say that, like the quarterback who gets paid the most. But yet they want it to be, you know, oh, well, we're going to pay him like a tight end. Like imagine in soccer, if your center mid, which is arguably your most important position, your holding mid maybe is is pretty good, but like your striker is unbelievable, but like, oh, well, we pay our mids more. It's just weird. Mm. Weird. Yeah, so it's it's all about trying to create comps, right? Um, 
but it, there is no comp for George Kittle. He's changed. He's just changing the position. It's evolutionizing the position. Uh, he, if if you had a, he could base. You can argue he's two people. He's their best receiver and their best blocker, right? Um, and normally that position was manufactured by having a good receiving tight end and a good blocking tight end and a guy who can back them both up. They were your three standard tight ends on the team, on most teams, unless you had a Tony Gonzalez or somebody like that. So going, you know, into the negotiation, I just took that, you know, I, I can't price him like a tight end or he's only going to get paid $12.5 million or $13 million. Um, Everybody agreed he should be the highest paid and is the best, but at to what level? So, unfortunately, you know, had a deal been done, Natalie, uh, between 2014 and even 2019, where there was free agents hitting the market, uh, like if a Gronk was a free agent, whether Kelsey was a free agent or Zach Ertz was a free agent, they probably would have set the bar and would have been paid $12, $13 million a year a few years ago. Um and then we could have springboard off of that to probably the 17 or 18 numbers uh, or were 16. So uh, that was the disadvantage and it is what it is. And we had to fight through it. Um, their argument didn't convince me it should be, you know, 11 to 14, but they didn't buy my argument, you know, 17 to 18. So we ended up at 15. But the, the, the big part of that deal is the guarantee component of it. So if you're George Kittle, you know you are protected on a $75 million deal. When you put that helmet on and sign that contract, you have $40 million of injury protection um, uh, that will set you up for life. And maybe because, because in, his own, in his own words, and I think it's a good depiction, he plays like an angry bull. Yeah. <laughs> Which you know, so if you're going to play like an right, angry but you bull, you wouldn't want to do that if you didn't have the protection. right. You're gonna you're gonna potentially get hurt. So, and so you, years. So, so um, so Jack, you and Nelly, Jack mentioned that he played football at Texas A&M Kingsville, which most people probably wouldn't you know immediately bring up as a football factory. In fact, it wasn't even called that then; it was called Texas A and I. Wow. Yeah, Texas A&I. And it's a storied program. We were the first college ever to play in Mexico, in France, in Germany. Whoa. Um, the seven national championships. There was three years in a row where they, when they were NAIA, they won 76 straight games. Um, they brought a team, Henderson State, from I think Arkansas to, uh, to, to Europe and did a five-game tour uh, <laughs> with them i think in, as their spring football or, or in the summer for camp um they have more first than any other schools and we we actually have three we have we have four or three we have three hall of famers in gene upshaw and um Darryl Darryl. and john randall uh oh, when wow. I got there, yeah when i got there john or daryl green was there and he, he'd run track at spring ball and then jump the fence, put some cleats on and practice with the team, then run back, you know, still practice track during spring ball. And he was the NFL's fastest man. He was like one of the fastest men that ever stepped on the planet, still is. And we had, at the time I was there, we had like five, six guys drafted. We, um, we had, I think this school has a history of seven or eight first round draft picks. Uh, I've had Jermaine Mayberry out of there, an offensive lineman who was a first yeah. pick. 
uh, Al Harris, Floyd Young, George Diaz. Uh, um, uh, who was the center for the Bears forever? Um, uh, not Olin, not Olin He's no, the, the whole Hispanic, the Hispanic guy. But anyway, um, yeah, a lot of great players. It was a storied time to go down there and just it was Texas football before you know guys start going out of state. And it was a great laboratory for me to learn about the agent business because before the cell phone, you know, they would call my dorm, look, hey, where's Lloyd Lewis, where's Daryl Green, you know, and I was closest to the phone. So I was always picking up hearing from teams and agents. And Nice. So I you thought, just, you kind of, did you just appoint yourself Daryl Green's like de facto agent where you're like, yeah, yeah. I, I got this. I'll, I'll let Daryl know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's, what's your name and what team? Yeah, okay. So you want to you want to work out? Okay, there'll be one other player in there named Jack Becta. Uh, he's, so, he's short but slow. Yeah. So you so you're matching your Texas A and I pedigree now in this negotiation against um, John Lynch, 49er general manager, um, played at Nelly. He played Stanford and. Uh, great NFL player. And then Parag Marate, who uh, went to undergrad at Cal, which is so very, very smart guy, obviously. And then unfortunately got his MBA at Stanford, but we won't hold that against him because he, he does root for the Bears. So, so Jack, you've got to go up against the, uh, the heavy hitters here. And um, starting, I believe it was last Valentine's Day, uh, you guys formally started negotiating. Yeah, and I would get texts after games from, you know, Prague saying, oh, we, right after the season, we're going to start working on this. Like, the minute the season's over, but, you know, it's going to be a special deal and kept hearing all this. I'm like, all right, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, but, I mean, George would do these incredible things, and you would leave the game like, oh, wow. I mean, he is special. He just single-handedly won the game again. You know, things like that, right? Yeah. And, you know, he was kind of climbing into a class in an atmosphere all by himself. So I just kind of knew the tension was building that this was going to be a special deal um, for a special player. But what is it? It's um, rare air, thin air in terms of uh, for a tight end. And especially like a lot of the other tight ends came from being like first, second round picks. Right. But George was a fifth round pick, you know, so he didn't make a lot of money. That made him more challenging. OK, he's not going, you know, he didn't have a five year deal. He had a, a, a three plus an escalator on his contract term. So, you know, it was like going against these guys is waiting for their first proposal. I, I, I figure, you know, you kind of one on one negotiating. Sometimes you always let somebody show you, you know, what show their hand first, so to speak. Right. Uh, but they sent a deal that was, yeah, the highest paid tight end, but it was it was weak in, in the guarantees we were looking for. The average per year was weak. It was a five or six year extension. So we did not, we just like within minutes um, flicked that right back. So it's not starter for us. And um, I just, and, I can't believe you sent it. I'm not even so bad. I'm not showing George. And this, and this is Friday, February 14th. Jack's uh, at his home in La Jolla. He's got a tough life there. <laughs> uh, he's in La Jolla getting ready to go hang with some friends. And he gets a text from Prague saying, uh, Hey, I sent you something. And you, you, you told me your first thought was like Friday news dump. Like this is not a good sign. Yeah, exactly. Like it, you know, normally, 
when I, somebody says, hey, check it out, here it is, 5 o'clock on a Friday, um, I'll talk to you Monday. It just didn't, my gut just said, that's not a good feeling. It's just, it's not going to be good. Yeah. So I didn't even open it because I didn't want to throw in my night. I'm going over like a <laughs> house on the ocean with my cute girls over there, big pool. And, you know, so I just, you know, a lot of great wine. And so I just figured I'll open it tomorrow. So after I got a workout in, open it up, sure enough, it, it was uh, not at all what we were looking for. And, you know, and you can't blame them for trying, right? Um, can't blame them for trying. Can't blame them for throwing it out there, you know, test the age and test the player. It's just business, right? I took it personal. Maybe I shouldn't have. But, uh, um, you know, I called them Monday morning and said, this isn't going to fly. And matter of fact, I'm just not even going to get George worked up about it. I don't see any reason for it. I'm not even going to um, – I'm really not going to read it. I just skimmed over it enough to know it's not anything at all we're looking for. So I think that kind of set the expectations that it was going to be a, a heavyweight fight. And you you called it sub. What what did you refer to this as? I called it the Valentine's Day massacre. <laughs> so so slow start, and you didn't counter right. You just kind of waited. Yeah, and, I, was and so, I was so pissed. I just kind of went dark. You know. And looking back, maybe that that was a mistake. I don't know. You know, I hate to play Monday morning quarterback, especially when we had success. But I just figured if um, – I just figured we were so far – we're going to be so far off that we're just going to be wasting time. And I just kind of felt it was their way of going like, okay, we made you a proposal to be the highest paid tight end so we can sit on that for a while. You know, I assume that's – I'll never know what their strategy was or why they did it or if they believed in it or just – you know, it was a fishing expedition, but um, it, it, it was a non-starter and I made it clear and, you know, I felt George's value was much, much more than, you know, that proposal. And, and you know, I'm sure if you were talking to them, they would say, well, we thought George's value, as much as we love him, was less than Jack's first proposal. And, and then the world changed pretty quick after that. Um, you know, obviously in March we were starting to shelter in place and, the off season was blowing up along with, you know, many other things. And, um, you know, owners st started freaking out because the revenue was threatened and, you know, we didn't know if there'd be football still don't for sure, but you know, we're hopeful. And, uh, and t a lot of time passed where, you know, the normal rhythms of the off season did not apply, including the ability to potentially skip some voluntary activities and get their attention. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I felt like, um, and it was slow, you know, like it wasn't like, okay, COVID's here, shut everything down. It was like, oh, this is sneaking up. It's growing. It's growing. The numbers are going up every day. What's going to happen in football? Is there going to be football? Is there going to be, is there going to be OTAs? Are there going to be um, any type of off season? What's going on? Okay. What's, yeah, if you don't know what Zoom is, you better get it because it's going to be the number one tool to communicate with anybody and everybody. So there were so many question marks uh, happening. We did not, you know, know how it potentially would affect George. Uh, but yet again, then free agency did happen and the draft did happen. And it, but I, I think everybody was just kind of dialing back. Uh, when I say everybody, like owners and front offices, were dialing back their activities in terms of negotiation. And I think, I can't remember when McCaffrey got done, but... Uh, I thought that was April or May, maybe April or May. 
Um, yeah, sometime around there. I think maybe May. Yeah. But, you know, that, that kind of gave some hope that potentially, you know, we can get something done. And, you know, myself and uh, John Lynch had met in uh, Belmar, and we had some nice seats. And that was, like, kind of after that first spike went up, and then in California it wasn't bad, especially in our area. Um, restaurants started opening up again. You know, they were limited, you know, and wear a mask, blah, blah, blah. But it was good. You know, we actually got back to some normalcy and felt like things were, you know, ramping up again. And they were even talked that they were going to bring some guys in for a week or two. And then, you know, that was a head fake. And, you know, and John. And you, and you didn't. You didn't have as much juice at the restaurant as as local hero John Lynch who went to Tory Pines High School. You you there was like an hour wait at the. Uh, tell us tell us about the scene in, in early. Yeah, there's, June. A cool, there's, there's a cool restaurant, the Brigantine called the Brig, and it overlooks uh, Del Mar Races on one side, and then on the other side there's uh, the beach and Dog Beach. And you can see the sunset, you can see the coaster mm. train go by. It's like a very nostalgic, romantic kind of cool where the turf meets the surf iconic spot, right? For turf the- meets the surf. <laughs> old Delmar. So anyway, it was just like, and we got in and uh, the guy, there's a wait, you know, uh, you, get, you could get a drink and stand in the parking lot. And I go, hey, I kind of get a, a important meeting with uh, kind of a local guy here named John Lynch. And the girl's like, uh, well, who, I don't know who that is. But I said, well, get your manager. And luckily it was a guy who likes football and so I was able to leverage his name into us getting us two great spots. And, you know, John and I just kind of laid out some parameters on how we're going to negotiate what's important to them, what's important to us. You know, I, I said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do a, a market tied to the current tight end market. And he goes, well, we're not going to do a receiver deal. And, and he said, um, you know, we – just a reminder, we do have two franchise tags behind this year's deal. And I said, well, I'm not afraid to use the, the T word, the trade word, um, either. So we, we just kind of reminded each other what, you know, where the limits are, the stakes. But it was very friendly, very cool. It was actually very fun. I really enjoyed John. I got a lot of respect for him. Um, he, he's obviously grown into the job in a, <laughs> in a great way with some of the uh, things that he's done already. And, um, uh, but you know, I wanted to, I had a proposal in my, in my SUV and I was going to bring it to him because I, I don't really want to see it. I'd hold off on it. Um, because it's just the kind of a delicate time, you know, Jed's working on some things and he kind of gave me a hint that was his contract and Kyle's contract. He goes, let him get through that. And then, then it'd be a better time. And so, you know, to his credit, you know, that was good advice. Um, you know, instead of pounding, you know, dog piling on the owner's wallet all at once. <laughs> yeah. so, um, and that just kind of segued us into eventually exchanging more proposals and like it all. And I've always told George and his family, I said, Hey, look, big special deals are always a dog fight and sometimes even a war. And it always comes down to the last minute, the final hour, you know, I always try to get it done early, but it's, I told him that a year and a half, two years ago. And um, so that's what happened. And so we weren't surprised. It was a emotional, mental um, marathon. But, you know, we end up getting George exactly what he deserves and what he needs to 
you know, keep continue to play how he plays. So who paid for the meal in Del Mar? Oh, John did, of course. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder you liked it so much. Um, now, a quick aside on John Lynch. So, um, you know, she's heard me use this quote a lot. One time I asked John his philosophy about hitting because he was this guy used to just oh, I know what you're gonna blow say. people okay. up. And he, he said, oh, interesting question. Uh, this is when he was a player. He said, I always think back to something Ronnie Lott told me. Now, Ronnie Lott is the greatest hitter ever who I covered. And uh, John said, Ronnie Lott used to say to me, there's a receiver and then there's an invisible guy behind him and an invisible guy behind him. Kill the third guy. <laughs> and I, I think I used that in soccer when you were real young. I said, there's a net, there's an invisible there's net, net, there's an invisible net, you know, break the third net. So I, I embellished. But, yeah, kill the third guy. That's pretty much uh, – that should give you an idea of what these people do who play <laughs> at the high – and George is, is that crazy. Like, George Kittle is the offensive equivalent of kill the third guy. How is he, How is George crazy? George, I, he, his cousin put it best to me. I had a cousin that uh, he kind of grew up with, and actually they played football at Iowa together. Actually, his cousin beat him out at the tight end position for a little bit there at Iowa <laughs> and uh, played a little bit in the NFL. But he goes, you know, George just lives in fantasy land. He, he lives in la-la land. Like, <laughs> don't ever take him out of it. So he sees himself as a – a comic book character or a superhero when he plays, right? He has this ability to turn the switch on and morph into a character. And he really, and it's, it's real, you know, it's not acting, it's not showmanship and he's been doing it his whole life. It's not a switch he turned on, but when you did it at a place like university of Iowa, Natalie, it's, it's like this very uh, blue collar, uh, 80s, 90s type of Big Ten football environment, a little draconian even, to where fun and self-expression is suppressed, right? So he wasn't, his personality wasn't allowed to bubble out like we get to see it now, right? Um, you weren't allowed to have a whole lot of fun there because they were so strict and disciplined. Now they had fun and they taught it, helped teach them how to block and work hard and there's a lot of great things about that program that are you know he's taken out of there but um so nobody really got to see what his personality was like coming out might might even put some question marks on him like hey does this guy really love football he's kind of goofing around a little bit but no he just he loves the game so he plays it with just an unbridled passion and uh and at some point i think um uh coach uh uh what is it uh Embo there, um, the tight end coach. Oh, John Embry, yeah. Yeah, John Embry's been around football a long time, great pedigree. I think he just told him, he goes, look, um, don't ever run out of balance. And one thing you learn in the NFL, if you turn your shoulders upfield and run hard and fast, they will get out of your way. And he goes, <laughs> or, and just run, the best way around the DB is to run through them. <laughs> so he kind of took that to the next level. So, so now you've got a guy who – likes to be in La La Land and does it well, but now it's late July and you don't necessarily, you know, have, you're not closing in on a deal training camp. They got to show up. They don't have to get on the field yet, you know, and practice, which is, which gives you a little bit of time, but things are getting heated. And, and I remember Jack that you, 
Uh, John Lynch, Natalie, first Kyle Shanahan, the coach, got a well-deserved extension, and then John Lynch got one in late July. And, you know, they, the owner's paying Kyle, he's paying John, and the George deal's still not done. And I think, Jack, didn't you text John like, hey, well, I saw you got your deal done, congratulations, and he kind of took it in a, in a, as a mean-spirited thing or as, a, as kind of a sarcastic thing? Yeah, I think um, the timing of it, you know, I got um, their proposal for about $14 million a year. It still wasn't up to par um, with what we were looking for in terms of uh, cash flow in the earlier years, guarantee, signing bonus, um, all those things, right? Even the, the length of the deal. So I just say, you know, I just wrote them a note just saying, hey, we're, you know, we're really struggling with these offers here and blah 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 and oh and by the way congratulations (laughs) (laughs) and and you know what like it 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 was um tongue-in-cheek you know it's probably something i shouldn't have done Um, (laughs) but i you know i'm from philly and i'm emotional right and i'm a smart ass so uh that got the best of me and um you know john you know, you, you know, you know, John was picturing an invisible Jack Vecta and then an invisible oh. Jack Vecta behind him. <laughs> and he was like, kill the third guy. <laughs> kill the third Jack Vecta. Yeah, he probably was. But no, and you know, John's a humble guy. And he was probably a little embarrassed by the timing of it all. And uh, not embarrassed, but, you know, it, it probably wish it was at a different time. But, it, it, you know, professionally, it's like one thing probably should have nothing to do with the other. But the optics of it. It's, it's kind of hard to, you know, not take a take a swipe at, right? Um, <laughs> like that. So I did that, and um, it, it didn't help things along. But um, you know, I think we kind of showed our swords and uh, put them away very quickly. And and, and then and is that around the time you called the timeout? Yeah, and I just uh, yeah, right around then, and you know, George was getting a little irritable, and I. Somebody said something to him, and and I don't know. To this day, I still don't know what it was, or it was another player or something. And he just he got a little irritable, and and just I could just tell he was not in a good place. And um, I and I, you know I talked to his wife, and I said, yeah, maybe just let's just take a little time out, so not talk for a few days. And because uh, I think he was also beside himself too that you know this thing wasn't getting taken care of right away. Because he, he just has full faith in the time of organization more than I did because I'm an agent. It's my job not to. But, um, yeah, so I called a timeout, and we went like a weekend without without walking and then kind of picked things back up on Monday after, you know, I apologized to John and cleared the air, and, and then we got after it again. Cool. So how did things really get back on track? Um, you know, they start moving their offer up. We didn't. You know, I start, I threw one out at 18 and 16 and, you know, they were at like 14, four, which I felt was a little, not disingenuous, but I just didn't feel like I had much meat and potatoes with more window dressing. And, and, um, you know, we just held their ground and just, you know, I went through, I just kind of took a, a, a kind of a approach I never took before. I said, you know what, I haven't really kind of acknowledged any of their offers. I said, let, let me acknowledge it. So I basically wrote a list to Parag. I said, this is, this is why your offer isn't working for us. Okay. And 
I listed, you know, probably about 10 points or 12. I can't remember. I lost count of why the offer didn't work for us. And it's, a, you know, we need more in the signing bonus. We need more in the first year. We need more in the second year. We need more in the third year. We need, you know, this bonus needs to be structured like that. More money needs to be moved from the back to the front. This is how I would do it. Da, 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 da. And then I, I think after kind of taking that kind of a, a reciprocal approach, um, we start moving on because they start addressing my items kind of um, one by one. Like, yeah, we'll do this. We'll move on that. We're not doing this one. We're not touching that one. And, um, and you know, then we kind of got down to an impasse in terms of the structure. And, um, and, and George was able to voice, you know, internally to John that, you know, I'm not doing, you know, the traditional uh, deals that you've been put on the table for the last 10 years. I'm just not doing it. Yeah, and 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 I'll have you explain it because you know it better than I do. But basically, you know, we say historic deal, and the fan goes, "Oh, fifteen million a year." But the real significance of this deal in our world is that the 49ers for the last decade or so have been notorious for putting these clause these clauses in their contract that basically allow them to wait all the way till April first after free agency has started and had its first wave to decide whether they're going to guarantee a, a portion of or even the whole part of that player's contract for that year. So they can shop around, try to replace the player, and if they get rid of the player, the player is at a disadvantage because the market's already started. So agents and players hate these clauses, and nobody's been able to break it. Quarterbacks, Jimmy Garoppolo, Colin Kaepernick, pass rushers, nobody's been able to break the Niners and um, – this was especially important to George, I know, you know, to be able to not have those clauses in there because he want, as Jack said earlier, he wants that injury protection. So, Jack, in our world, people are still going, wait, somebody finally beat the 49ers in terms of those clauses. So I, I guess tell us, tell me if I explained that OK and, and how that got done. Yeah, from a macro standpoint, um Yes. So we kind of broke a structure that they've been using that, you know, in layman's term, they, after two years, after they pay uh, a player a lot of money in the first two years, and then the, dis the, the guarantees, the total guarantees tend to disappear. Okay. And, but they, they have basically about a two week look right after the season around say March 15th, to about April 1st, where they get to, exercise an option to trigger the guarantees again. They control it, not the player. And if they if the player is on the roster on on April 1st of that new year, then boom, that triggers the guarantees. If they cut them after the first day of the league year and before April 1st, they're not married to guarantees. They're just it's like renting a player versus buying a player. And I, George put it best. He goes, I don't want to be a rented player. Okay. So we got the rent clause out and turned it into a buy clause, which, you know, would help protect George in case he was hurt, in case something happened to him in 21 or 22. Um, he would have more guarantees than any other Niners player ever has had. Well, it's a great story. I, I am pro deal. I, you know, I tend to take the player's side, but I'm also pro deal. And I know that 
there was a lot of tension, but you guys got it done. So before we let you go, I'm just, you know, there was a celebration. Um, You flew up from San Diego to San Jose, had a very small socially distant celebration with George and his family, and it sounded like a great thing. But I know Natalie had one question before we go. Yeah, I I read that you guys were eating some Panda Express. (laughs) Natalie. George loves Panda Express. Oh, it was like P.F. Chang's clothes or something? (laughs) I I don't even know if George ever been at P.F. Chang's. But so when you're a college student in in Iowa City, right? Like Panda (laughs) Express is like kind of the exotic version of Chipotle, right? Um, Right. No, it was a treat in airports if you got to travel, right? You know, dad might go, hey, you guys, Panda Express? Woo. And again, the simplicity of George is is that, so, you know, I think the first game he won as a Niner, don't quote me on this, but it's been their Victory Monday deal, you know? They just, you know, Santa Clara is not the San Jose, the bustling place to go out. Um, Like some, it's not Chicago, et cetera. But so a lot of times these guys just stay home and they just order a ton of Panda Express with big <laughs> serving trays and throw some spoons in there and, oh you God. know, have a glass of wine. And that's just kind of how the tradition of how they celebrate. And and everybody seems to love it. And I got to tell you, it's not bad. I, I, <laughs> I kibbles, There's been Panda Express there. Um, right right, right now... Right now, Panda Express is sending Jack a, an offer. I know. I was going to say you got it. You, know, you got it for George to be the, its endorser, and, and Jack is is going to refer to that offer as the mid-August massacre because it won't be uh, it won't be close to what he gets ultimately. Well, ironically, we're a step ahead of you. We uh, we did a deal with Panda Express last year and just re-upped it again. Boom! And uh, so George is a spokesperson for and express and we go to his uh his instagram feed you'll see some promotions there of his honey sesame chicken that he loves so much and it's a good relationship he loves it and that's and again it says a lot of who he is like you know the marketing company we work with partially with george they go hey don't you know what if pizza hut comes what if what if uh domino's comes and he's like yeah I like Panda Express better. <laughs> so okay. it's authentic. It's That's a real everything the guy does is authentic, right? And he'd rather make you know X dollars than five X on a product he likes versus you know something he has to pretend to like. That's who this guy is. Are there injury guarantees in the Panda Express deal? Like if his <laughs> if he gets a little like upset stomach, does it like protect him on the structure? Yeah, I, I, he did an interview with um, with um, Florio on NBC Sports uh, Sports or Pro Football Talk, and so he's talking. Oh, we both have dogs. We both like Burner Doodle and George. You like Panda Express, right? And I think it was maybe the interview was set up by then. He goes something like, "Well, how can you eat that stuff?" Or he just made some derogatory comment. And I'm like, you know. You better be careful. I don't think George will ever go on that show. <laughs> He's a man of principle. Okay, well, I'm not going to make the comment that I could make. We have a Panda Express probably three-quarters of a mile from our house right now, and Natalie and I are going to have to let you go because we have been tasked with getting takeout 
for the family tonight. Uh, everybody else is gone, conveniently leaving us with the dog. So uh, we'll decide what kind of food to get. Do you, uh, we probably shouldn't, you know, we probably shouldn't say on the air without an endorsement deal. Probably not, but. But if, no. if Makuni Sushi does want to sponsor, Ooh. you know, become a pass it down sponsor, uh, I, might, I might reveal uh, the leading contender. Jack, you are amazing. And other than recording this in a women's airport bathroom, uh, this was this was about as special of an experience as I could imagine. Well, you're a legend, and I'm sure Natalie's a legend in the making, and I can't wait to meet you in person and always enjoy your work. All right, man. Congratulations so much, and we, we appreciate you. Take care, guys. Thank you. Bye. Cheers.